When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can now listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, September 10th, 2023. And, and Drew, you and I made a conscious adult decision that we were going to hold off on recording this show till after the Walt Disney Animation Studios presentation at this year's Destination D23, which is, as we're recording this, wrapping up the second of two days at the, what is it, in the convention center at the Contemporary Hotel at Walt Disney World. We were hoping for some news of size, and that did not happen, did it? No. Although, if you want to buy a $1,500 box set of 100 Blu-rays from Disney, you can do that. Did you see that news? I didn't see the price. $1,500 for films I already own? Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I watched a little video of you pull the, one of the three little sleeves out of the thing and it it folds out to a lovely storybook shape and it comes with a decorative crystal with the Disney 100 logo in it and I, and I think a litho, right? Yep. $1500? Yep. Does the phrase are they high come to mind? I mean, well, you know what? What's interesting is that there are a few titles that were only Disney Movie Club exclusives. So you do get that. If you're not a member of the Disney Movie Club, you would get that. Also, there are digital codes for every single movie, which I think is Mm -hmm. a huge deal there. But okay, yeah, the inclusion of the movies is was kind of interesting. There were some Disney. There were a lot of Disney Toon Studios movies. There was okay, like James and the Giant Peach and Frankenweenie. You know, there were some interesting titles in there. All right, but fifteen hundred dollars. I mean, I know if you're you're a completist. So the movie tune stuff, are we talking things like Make My Music and... Uh, well, okay. Make My Music is there. Planes mm. is there. I'm talking about like the Tigger movie, I believe, is in there. Mm. Goofy movie is there. Okay. So these are not all Disney animation or Pixar titles. Okay. okay. They're all over the map, which is kind of nice. It's kind of a celebration of every kind of facet, but... Uh, okay. So if they dropped a zero, if this whole thing were available... For $150, I might consider. But $15? Right. Like I need another tchotchke? It's like, oh, yes, please give me the crystal Mickey Mouse hat-shaped thing. But oof. on the other hand, I guess we should mention that they did show the 100th anniversary short uh, Once Upon a Studio there, which got a standing ovation from the folks. But I think you've mentioned that would be deservedly so because it's a great little short. It is a great little short. They were supposed to me- to mention the rollout, which we can't mm. mention on this show, but mm-hmm. I don't know what happened there. Okay. But also, like, playing that short to a room full of Disney freaks is like bringing out the meow mix at the <laughs> cat convention. You know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> it's not 
<laughs> Not the hardest sell. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, throwing chum over the side. Okay, I, I, I get what you're saying. Plus, of course, they showed the first 10 minutes of Wish, and I guess they got to see the opening song as well. Here's an additional song for that. But you just in this past week had your own Disney Wish-related event, correct? I did. I went and saw them recording the score for Wish, which I cannot talk about yet, but was a really, as you can imagine, magical event. And um, I don't know. You know, every every time I've been to a scoring session, I've just, it's just the most exciting thing Mm -hmm. to me. So, yeah, really, really great. But again, you can't talk about that till the embargo up is up in early October. October. Yeah. Okay. Can you at least talk about which stage you were on? Oh, well, I was on the Newman stage at Fox where, you know, like Sound of Music was recorded, Jaws was recorded. Not a lot of history in those walls. Let me just oh, say that. You are killing me. Okay. Well, again, well, folks, you're going to have to wait for those stories for the middle of October. But how cool. How cool that you got to do that. It was a lot of fun. Yes. All right. We'll talk further about Destination D and some of the other animation re- uh, related news that happened at that event. But first, the news. And as always, the news portion of the show is brought to you by Fine Tuning's newest sponsor, which is Touring Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking about heading back to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even throw in a, a free subscription to touring plans, if you ask. So if you're planning on heading to Central Florida sometime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com travel. Okay, so we've been talking for weeks, if not months now, about Peter Somm's Elemental which, back when this Pixar film first debuted back on June 16th of this year, had the ignominious uh, accomplishment of being the second worst opening weekend uh, in that animation studio's history. But what a difference 87 days makes. The Elemental is now the 17th highest earner in that animation studio's uh, history, uh, if we look at the global box office, which means that this Peter Somm film is ahead of earlier Pixar hits like the original Cars from June of 2006, uh, that film's sequel from 2017, Cars 3, as well as the original Toy Story, which was first released in theaters back in November of 95. Quick aside, Drew, did you see where earlier this month Disney was trying to make Lightning McQueen Day a thing? No, I didn't see that. I'm <laughs> Glad I didn't see that. Uh, well, then you, you were busy getting ready for the wedding. But on Lightning McQueen, his racing number is 95. And the folks who worked on the PR side of D- Disney and Pixar thought, well, if May the 4th can be Star Wars Day, as in May the 4th be with you, uh, then September 5th can be Lightning McQueen Day, as in the ninth month and the fifth day of the ninth month equals 95. My only problem with that, Drew, is, isn't Lightning McQueen's number 95 because that's the year that the very first Pixar full-length animated feature came out, Toy Story, uh, November of 1995? Correct. So it just seems a little weird that after the fact, Lightning's McQueen's 95 is now taking on an additional meeting that, you know, the whole September 5th being Lightning McQueen Day. 
did some digging down into this, and evidently this promotional idea actually dates back to 2017. Now, what's kind of weird about that is that Cars 3 is released to theaters June 16th of that year. In fact, the very same day that Elemental was. But the Blu-ray of this Bryant Fee film doesn't show up on store shelves till November 5th, 2017, some five months later. So Lightning McQueen Day is kind of floating there in the middle as September 5th. Now, last year, uh, when they, they revived the idea and really pushed it hard, it kind of made sense because Pixar's Cars on the Road, that, that limited series, that debuted on September 8th, which, given its close proximity to September 5th, I can kind of buy that. But I, uh, long story short, I don't think Lightning McQueen Day is ever going to become the next May the 4th. But let's see. Anyway, back to Elemental's box office. Uh, folks at Pixar are now proudly pointing out that this Peter Som film uh, has done better at the global box office than last year's uh, Lightyear, and not to mention Onward back in 2020, which, by the way, Drew wrote the wonderful making a book still worth chasing down, folks. And I honestly don't think it's fair to do a comparison of Elemental's box office to light year and onward because uh, let's be honest th those two films were kind of hamstrung by the pandemic i mean it's sort of the equivalent of comparing elemental's box office to say soul or luca or turning red you know which only aired on disney plus right yeah yeah so i bring all of this up because this week on wednesday september 13th elemental becomes available for viewing on Disney+, Plus, as does Carl's Date, the Pixar short that uh, accompanied Elemental into theaters. But the thing I'm most excited about is the making of documentary that accompanies Elemental for its Disney Plus debut. Have you gotten a chance to see this yet, Drew? The I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, I really like all the kind of documentary stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, from Pixar. And as mm -hmm. we know, some of those folks were let go in a recent, uh, the recent layoffs. So yeah. this might be the last uh, really in-depth Pixar documentary for a little while. Okay, but, but again, title you're looking for, folks, here is Good Chemistry, the Story of Elemental, and here's the log line for this behind-the-scenes look. Good Chemistry, the Story of Elemental, follows Peter Som on a journey to tell his most personal story yet. The documentary explores several real-life influences that contributed to the Elemental narrative. Som traces his parents' migration from Korea to New York, visits his dad's former grocery store in the Bronx, and examines his choice to pursue a career in animation rather than taking over the family business. And it just, you know, when you hear it laid out like that, the parallels with the actual story for Elemental, I mean, I can't wait to see this. Have you seen uh, this thing that Rebecca Sugar is doing? Uh, she's doing a, a virtual concert and music play for the Trevor Project. Uh, it's helping the LGBTQ community. So it's a fundraiser that's going to be done live on TikTok and Instagram Sunday, September 17th. But Rebecca, as she was talking this up, also mentioned that she'd be making a big announcement on uh, September 17th. And immediately all of these, you know, given that, you know, she previously worked on Steven Universe and Adventure Time, and you know, all these rumors began making the rounds and 
Rebecca actually felt that she had to sort of step back into social media after announcing their fundraiser for the Trevor Project and sort of tamp people's expectations down. So this is the quote of what she put out on social media. There's a rumor that Steven Universe will continue his comics and that I will be involved in the upcoming Steven Universe comics. And this is not true. Always have enjoyed uh, Rebecca's work. So I, I have to say, I'm honestly interested in what will be revealed on the 17th. Have you heard anything, Drew? Or? I have not heard anything. I'm, I'm excited to hear. I mean, I think that the event itself is very special and I think should be special enough. But oh yeah, yeah any yeah. news about what they've got cooking, I think, mm-hmm. should be pretty exciting for all of us animation fans. You're so open. You're so open. And then the Blu-ray of Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, finally becomes available for purchase on September 26th. And <laughs> Drew's been coding me into doing this for quite a while now because Ruby Gilman has been available on demand since July 18th. So I finally sat down and watched this Kirk D'Amico movie. It is so much fun. I mean, it's sweet story, uh, genuinely funny, has a terrific animation style and some great big action scenes you've seen this now right oh of course i saw it before it came out J- jim i was act- i saw this in a theater mind yeah. you so you know <laughs> wow okay i you know but yeah this one again i know we were just praising elemental which got off to a rough start and ruby definitely got off to a rough start but this is one really you should go out of your way to to, to check out uh, Toronto Film Festival uh, got underway, and what was it? The, on the opening night, they ran the latest, the brand new Miyazaki movie, The Boy and the Heron, which got some pretty terrific reviews, didn't it? Yeah, and did you see who introduced it? Who's what special yeah! guest showed up? Well, please, yeah. please tell us who surprised the crowd. Uh, none other than our favorite guy, Guillermo del Toro, came out to present it, which. You know, a man who knows something about darkly tinged fables and animation and the power of fantasy can't think of somebody better than Guillermo to introduce the film. Especially for this particular Miyazaki movie, which again, remember, we were told, oh, you know, it's his last, it's really special. And, you know, but did you see where Junuchi Nishii? Oka, uh, he's the vice president of Studio Ghibli, was on the red carpet in, in Toronto. And, you know, it was kind of dissuading the folks at the crowd. That, Look, I know we're, you're all asking about Miyazaki's last movie, but he's been coming into the office, you know, he's, and actually talking about you know the ideas he has for his next movie. So maybe tamp down the whole last. I mean, I, I, I get it. He's 82 years old and. How many more last movies can we get out of him? But but at the same time, how many times is Hayao Miyazaki retired or threatened to retire now? Yeah. It's the boy who cried wolf at this point. <laughs> or the boy who cried mystical heron that takes you to a land in between life and death in the waning days of World War II. I don't know. I don't know if it's the former or latter or what, okay. but yeah. Okay. Well... G Kids, which remember acquired their North American theatrical rights to The Boy and the Heron a month or two back, they're really hot for this film. That they are putting together their widest release in the 15 year history of the company, and I guess it's due to arrive officially in theaters on December 8th of this year. But have you heard anything about these special preview engagements? They're supposed to start on the 22nd, which 
Isn't that the same day that Disney's Wish opens in theaters? I haven't heard that. I mean, I'll be wherever, Jim. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I'll be camped outside in my Princess Bononoke mask, uh, (laughs) you know, waiting for the first showing. But no, that's interesting that they're going head to head because as you and I both know, back whenever that was, 2013, I want to say, when The Wind Rises came out, that was released by a little company called Disney. And they propelled that movie to get a Best Animated Feature nomination. So... Yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of Disney, uh, over on Disney Plus, in fact, on the exact same day that G Kids is putting The Boy and the Heron out in theaters, December 8th, we're getting our latest animated Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie. Uh, this is actually a Christmas special called Cabin Fever. And then we get Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, debuting on Netflix. That's December 15th. This is the sequel to that 2000 Ardman film. Did you get to see the latest trailer, Drew? I didn't because I have a sensation, Jim. It's kind of more of a it's a feeling in the back of my neck that I'll be seeing this movie sooner rather than later. So I said, you know what? I don't need to see anymore. I saw some stuff at Annecy. Okay. And, okay. you know, I just, I'm just going to go in as fresh as I can. You know, like a a newly hatched chick, Jen. <laughs> you know, that's how I'm going to be. All right. Well, then I'm going to warn folks when we come back from the break, we're going to do a little spoiling on Chicken Run, uh, Dawn of the Nugget, because some information came out with this latest trailer that make, makes this Ardman movie something you're really, really going to want to check out. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Again, we kind of breezed uh, by at the top of the show the news coming out of Destination D23. Uh, And there was some animation-related stuff coming out of that, right? Well, there there was, and I know that you'll probably get into this more in more detail with Lynn whenever you record with him, but Mm -hmm. there were some interesting animation in the parks stuff that I think we should talk about. All true. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, primarily the fact that it's tough to be a bug, Mm -hmm. which has been running since the opening days of Disney's Animal Kingdom and also is one of the few Pixar-branded projects not animated by the studio. It was actually animated by Rhythm and Hughes, the defunct um, studio. Yeah. Now, what what's kind of interesting about that, because they were right in the middle of making A Bug's Life while Animal Kingdom was coming up out of the ground. In fact, I want to say... It opened like... Six months before the movie it opened. Did. It yeah. did. But I want to say like 95% of the footage was animated by Rhythm and Hughes. What was kind of interesting is Pixar evidently got something struck in their craw, you know, with the notion of you can animate any of these other characters because they don't appear, actually appear in A Bug's Life. But Flick, we have to animate. In fact, Jim Shul was telling me about the, they were adamant about the fact that, you know, they would handle Flick for the uh, tough-to-be-a-bug 3D movie. Everything else 
was Rhythm and Hues. But can you talk about what's going in eventually? There, I don't know if they're considering this or this is uh, actually something that is happening because the, the okay the, yeah the entire presentation was a vague word salad of <sighs> semi confirmations and. Mm-hmm. Maybe other things happening. Anyway, what is supposed to go in there is actually a Zootopia Mm -hmm. film. And what's interesting about this was that we thought that maybe Zootopia would go elsewhere in the park. Yeah. So do you want to talk about that at all? Can you talk about that? Bruce Vaughn came on as the new head of Walt Disney Imagineering back in March of this year. And what I'm being told is there's kind of a weird parallel from, do you remember when when Iger was having a bake-off to the effect of of who would be his second in command at the Walt Disney Company? So there was that moment where, what was it, Jay Rizzullo, who was uh, the head of the parks, and Tom Staggs, who was the CFO, they actually switched roles. Yes, and then, uh, you know, a, a, a thing that was weirdly left out of the 12,000 word MSNBC story <laughs> this week. But yes. yeah, that's another interesting bit of news that think about it. If Xenia Muka had still been at the Disney company, is there a chance at all that an article like that would have come out? No, no. You got to understand that James B. Stewart probably yep. has a. 300-page stack of notes for oh, Disney yeah. War II that he's now furiously trying yeah. to re uh, rework after that article. To be honest, I was kind of wondering the same thing about Kim Masters. Yeah. If you haven't read it, folks, over at CNBC, Alex Sherman's 1,200-word behind-the-scenes on the the whole Chapek Iger thing, definitely worth reading. But anyway, to get back to the whole Tom Staggs, Jay Rizzullo thing, Iger had them switch roles, and Staggs... When he looked at the plans for New Fantasyland, especially the three next-gen meet-and-greets that this expansion of the park was going to have with Belle and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, and and Staggs has had three young boys at that point, and it just basically went to the manager and said, there's nothing here for my sons. And so late in the game, you know, in fact, they had already announced the initial iteration of New Fantasyland. And suddenly we got the second version of New Fantasyland and where the Tremaine Chateau and the Woodcutter's Cottage were gone and which took the Cinderella and the Sleeping Beauty meet and greets off the table. And they then replaced it with the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. So uh, supposedly this is kind of the same situation with Bruce Vaughn, that he was looking at the plan that was initially announced for, uh, you know... Uh, Beyond uh, Big Thunder Mountain? Well, uh, in this case, it was the uh, what was going to be done at Animal Kingdom with the notion of Dinoland USA and the dinosaur ride were going to give way to a Moana area and a Zootopia ride inside of the old dinosaur building and bruce is enough of a vet at disney it's one of these things where it's like how much money are we going to have to spend to change dinosaur into a, you know a zootopia ride and it's like hey anyone who knows their disney theme park history understands that dinosaur basically has the same physical ride path of the indiana jones adventure at disneyland so the whole notion was where it's like well come on guys we could keep the exact same ride system we could keep the exact same ride path 
we could keep the same physical plant. We just put Indy in, just pull out the dinosaur stuff and put it in Indy. We have a new run. This is supposedly why when they talked about the whole beyond Big Thunder, you saw no art, you saw no concept stuff. But it's going to be a huge expansion. It felt like Trump. It's going to be huge. It's going to be unbelievable. You're never going to believe it. But we didn't actually see anything or get any details. Uh, uh, oh, you're killing me. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Evidently, Bruce, you know, just like, look, Indy is, is, is set in Central America. And Encanto is set, you know, in Colombia. It's like, if we put these two together and put them in Animal Kingdom, that's a much better fit and so, you know, Moana fell by the wayside. Now, mind you, Bruce's argument is like, look, we've got Moana Journey of Water opening Epcot. You know, Moana is fine for right now. But the other thing that is kind of interesting about Zootopia going into the park to replace It's Tough to Be a Bug is that doesn't necessarily preclude a Zootopia land further on down the line. And supposedly... In much the same way that Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris had a five-year exclusive on the technology and, more to the point, the use of the Remy character in the Ratatouille the Ride, you know, it was only after that five-year period was up that they could then walk this out to other parks. And Epcot then, of course, snagged it and, and built it behind the France Pavilion. That's the other thing we got to see quite a bit of the Zootopia land and the ride and the trackless stuff earlier this week. And that supposedly five years down the line, we will then get a, a full-blown Zootopia land. But for now, especially out ahead of the Zootopia 2 film, you know, A Bug's Life, when this attraction first opened, it was going to be the second Pixar film and everyone thought it was going to be a huge hit like Toy Story, and it did well, it did fine. But when you think about a lot of the films they did after that that were that much more popular, it's just the whole notion of, okay, it's had a 25-year run in that theater. So it's time to put a new 3D movie in there, and more to the point, on, on a, a more popular IP, though the Clawhauser animatronic that was built for the Shanghai ride to be used in the queue is what, again, they built a second version and that's what's supposed to be loaded into this theater, supposedly in the same position as the Hopper animatronic. But at the same time, we have no actual date for when this is going to go no. on. These are seismic changes to the DNA of Disney's Animal Kingdom. I mean, that Tough to Be a Bug thing was such a big deal. It was cloned in Anaheim for a number of years. And then, you know, getting rid of dinosaurs, Jim. I, I texted you this. I said, it was, I, mm -hmm. I'm upset. I'm upset yeah. because it's, it's such a huge deviation from the original kind of thesis of the park. <laughs> what it would be like, Jim, is if you took out the great movie ride mm -hmm. and you put in a Mickey Mouse attraction. I mean, that's kind of the same vibe right did you see the branding that disney walked out for the parks yesterday afternoon no you tell know. me about it oh god these are the new sort of explanations of how we differentiate the four florida parks oh i would love to hear this okay so it's like the magic kingdom is the place where fantasy reigns 
On the other hand, Hollywood Studios is Let the Adventures Begin, which evidently nobody who worked on the naming committee has ever been over to Islands of Adventure. You remember that, that giant it, The Adventure Begins sign you walk under as, you know, once you've come through the turnstiles, you know, you're yes. there at Port of Entry. So it's like, good job, guys. Then Epcot is the magic of possibility. And finally, Disney's Animal Kingdom is alive with magic. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. It's all the same now. There's no differentiating any of them. I get that when people book vacations to Walt Disney World, it's that once-in-a-lifetime thing for most people. And so they're not into the park identities as much as say you and I or, or a lot of folks who listen to this this show they're just they're going on vacation they want rides and so for them to go to an animal kingdom and it's like wow i get to go to the village where maribel and her family live in encanto and i get to see indiana jones i mean for them this is a plus on the other hand for me to sort of look what's happened to epcot over the 40 plus years now and for example that was the other thing they announced to the effect of i guess world celebration will be opening in december of this year i, I in fact along with the new uh lagoon show luminous that is so funny they were like we're done it's like <laughs> whoa really <laughs> well it's got to be done at some point and by the way, I, I don't know who it is who, who made the joke to the effect of Luminous. So, you know, you took Illuminations and you took Harmonious and you rammed them together. And it's like, hey, we formed a new word. Terrible name. Terrible name. I know. But it is what it is. Epcot's identity has been changed to the Celebration Park. That's where you go. It's festivals 24-7 now. You know, Food and Wine, Flower and Garden, Festival of the Arts, Festival of the Holidays. And we're going, I just, I'm going to apologize here. We, if you didn't like what's happening to Epcot, you are not going to like what's happening to Animal Kingdom over the next five to 10 years. You're going to see more IP shoehorned into this park. Because again, ultimately, that's the thing that Bob Chapek famously said out loud once. It's like, look, if our competitors had our IP, they'd do the exact same thing we're doing. One final note here. Did you catch Josh tomorrow at the very end of the parks presentation where he was talking about hey you know we're Disney we invented theme parks and seven out of the ten most popular theme parks around the globe you know the best attended are Disney parks and our great big beautiful tomorrow starts today and it's like Mr. Tomorrow, tell me again about how you feel about Epic Universe. <laughs> you know, yeah, like... exactly. I mean, they're just going to let Universal lap them. And um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's not a great time. And I want to, you know, they announced that that Haunted Mansion was coming to Disney Plus in October. Mm -hmm. And, mm. you know, to me, it's just it's a reinforcement of, you know, you need to make original attractions to mm. base a, a live action movie on in 30 mm. years. Like, I don't know. They're. There's such short-sightedness in terms of how they're dealing with these parks. This is the modern Disney company. It, it's how are we doing? What's the stock price today? What are gonna, we going to be able to report for the next quarter? You know, when you used to talk about, with the Disney pioneers, they would talk about, well, here's the five-year plan and here's the 10-year plan. And that company's gone, Drew. Yeah. There's no other way to describe it. Now we're at the company where we're considering... There we go. Things. There we go. And the so. 
the most exciting thing to me was a a redo of Test Track because I really hate I hate Tron Track as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the original version of Test Track and the idea that they're incorporating world of motion type <laughs> stuff into this new version is very exciting to me. But I am old. Doesn't Test Track already have a line? I mean, you know, that, that, uh, last time I was there, there was a line out the door, okay? Whereas yeah. to either side of it were two pavilions that desperately need attention. Yes. But at the same time, it's because it's Chevrolet. And Chevrolet believes in the letter of its contract. Kind of the effect of, okay, every 10 years we update this thing. It's 10 years. Time to update this thing. It was like the announcement of the tavern across from God. pirates and it's like and and more to the point adding hat box and, uh, don't get me wrong we were, we're also getting a, a country bear show a brand new country bear show but at the same time i i will bet you good money that if you put a stopwatch to the show that's running right now in the, that theater remember and that's the cut down version of the original country bear show from 71 i will bet you the new iteration of the country bear show that comes into Grizzly Hall with the animatronic bears now singing classic Disney songs in the various country western styles. I will bet you this comes in shorter than the cut down version of the show. Because again, ultimately, oh, for sure. this is about getting people into the theater and sending them up out, out the streets. And the other interesting thing I heard about that is both the Pirate Seam Tavern and the Country Bear Show redo only got greenlit because the assumption is, okay, when Tiana's Bayou Adventure opens, it's going to be huge. And people are going to be looking for things to do while other family members who don't necessarily like riding flume rides or, or that setting, sort of, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to be in the area. I'm, I'm loitering around here. What else is there to for me to do? It's like, well, you can go to the new Country Bear Show or you can go get a, a drink and a sandwich at the Pirates Tavern and they're in the immediate vicinity. I didn't realize they were singing Disney songs. They are. They are. In fact, the little bit of audio or video that they shared was the recording session of a country western style of the bare necessities. So, my country for a blood <laughs> on the saddle okay. remix. So, all right, now to pivot back to actual animation news, and again, I, I apologize, Drew has not watched this trailer, and but I'm pretty sure you knew. I do know this bit. Yes. Okay, that the villain of Chicken Run: Rise of the Nugget is Mrs. Tweety. You know, Mrs. Tweety is back. She was a great villain in the original uh, Ardman film from 2000. In fact, I actually got to see when they did the presentation of this at VES, this wonderful moment where the director, man, I'm blanking his name, uh, the director of the Park and and Dick uh, Park. All right. Yeah. All right. He's in the lobby of the the theater where we're doing the, the chicken run presentation. And here's Ray Harryhausen. And you know who walks up to it, and and Nick is cradling Mrs. Tweedy, the the maquette that he's brought to show off. And well, I actually got to, to sort of lead in and listen to the conversation between Ray and Nick, where Ray immediately, you know, it's like, well, where'd you get the eyes? I mean, you know, back in the day when, when we did this, we had to take the the eyes out of dolls. This looks great. So, oh, we make our own eyes. To get to see the Mrs. Tweedy, who I want to say was maybe 13 inches, 14 inches tall. So it's it's great that she's back. 
On the other hand, remember, the sequel was announced. It's coming to Netflix in 2018 and back in July of 2020. Well, you saw the Julia Swahali thing, right? How she wasn't asked back to do the voice of Ginger and took to social media basically to go after Edmund to say that the reason they they gave is that my voice now sounds too old and they want a younger actress to vocally reprise the role. And Julia really went after Edmund at this point. She talked about how usually in these sorts of circumstances, an actress will then be given the chance to do a voice test, you know, to determine the suitability of their pitch and their tone. And she was not given that opportunity and didn't want to go down without a fight. So she did her own voice test at home and sent it to the producers. And they said, nope, we're going to go ahead with the recast of Ginger. And that's how Thaddy Newton wound up as the voice of Ginger. On the other hand, did you, did you see the, the Adventure Time story where they had their own little issue with a voice recast? No, I didn't see that for the, uh, for the spinoff. Yeah, the Fiona and Cake show. And Kamel Nani Johnny, he was originally the voice of Prismo on the show. So when the show came back, when Fiona Cake showed up and Prismo was being voiced by somebody else, Kamel also hopped on social media and said, yeah, that's not me. I would have loved to have voiced Prismo again. He's one of my absolute favorite characters I've ever had the honor of playing. Very close to my heart. Fortunately, they never asked me to come back and voice him again, and I would have done it for free. And this is one of those moments where it's like, to be Kamel's manager, and when this news broke, the showrunner, Adam Muto, hopped on social media and said, hey, we would have loved to have you back. You know, we were told by casting that Several offers went out to your reps, and we said we could be flexible in scheduling, but received a respectful pass, and sorry that it didn't work out. Yikes. <laughs> this, this kind of reminds me, there's that famous story about how uh, supposedly Howard Ashman and Alan Menken reportedly wrote the role of Ursula in The Little Mermaid for Beatrice Arthur, who at the time, was starring in the Touchstone television hit, the, the Golden Girls. And so it was like kind of a no-brainer. She's in-house. We do this with her. And, you know, she's already on board with promoting Disney stuff. So this would be great. But evidently, the script got as far as her agent, and he refused to give it to B because it's like, well, that's insulting that you're asking her to play a witch. The part then gets passed to Elaine Stritch, who she had originally auditioned for Beatrice Arthur's role on The Golden Girls, lost out on that part, did get cast as Ursula, but only lasted for two weeks. They did a, a number of test recordings with her, and she evidently had this great boozy quality that she brought to Ursula, but she just couldn't get the rhythm of the songs right, or she, she was kind of loosey-goosey with the lyrics, and... So they let her go, and that's ultimately how Pat Carroll wound up as the role. This is my—I'm legally required to now suggest everyone look up that Disney special with B. Arthur and Betty White bumbling around Walt Disney World, including going into the facade of the Golden Girls' house on the Backlot Tour, which— is made even funnier in the mm -hmm. in the years since when we learned that B. Arthur and 
Betty White hated each other. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very fun little. Gl- I, I'll, I'll look up what special that is and we'll yeah. report back on it or I'll tweet it out or something. But yeah. That would be great. Okay. That Now, what's interesting about Mrs. Tweedy coming back to be the villain in Rise of the Nugget is it, it, it brings to mind when Disney almost brought back a villain. In fact, what's interesting, folks, is if you hammer on Google, you can actually see the concept art for this, that during the time that the Rescuers was being developed at Disney, you know, the whole notion is, well, we need a villain. We need a great villain. We need somebody like Cruella. And so, and ultimately they did, you know, come up with their own Cruella, you know, Madame Medusa. But for this fun little moment, it's like, well, rather than try to make somebody like Cruella, why don't we use Cruella? It's after the events of 101 Dalmatians, and she's, she's gotten out of prison from the UK, and she's moved to the United States, but she's, she's penniless, and she's down in Devil's Bayou, but she's heard about this amazing diamond, the Devil's Eye, and she's determined to get it. And it was you know, sort of this, this interesting second chapter with, with a Disney villain, and ultimately... They decided to go another way because evidently they took it all the way up the food chain to to Ron Miller. And Ron was like, "Eh, we don't do sequels to our animated stuff. You know, I mean, you know, Walt learned famously the whole you can't top pigs with pigs thing, which is why they didn't do a a Snow White 2 or that sort of thing. So Rescuers comes out in 77 and is the biggest animated hit Disney's had in years. In fact, it's out in theaters the exact same summer as the first Star Wars film. And it's just making money hand over fist. And so when Michael Eisner becomes the new CEO of Disney in uh, late September, early October of 84, He's from Paramount, you know, and Paramount made sequels to everything. I mean, if Grease made money, you you immediately put Grease 2 into production. Uh, you know, a Saturday Night Fever got a sequel, Staying Alive. And so Eisner sits down behind his desk in the corner office at Disney and basically says, okay, so what's our top earner for live action? And it's like, well, that would be Mary Poppins, Mr. Eisner. And it's like, okay, well, let's get a sequel in development for that and... You know, ultimately, we did see uh, Mary Poppins Returns after years and years of tinkering, though it was that version of Mary Poppins where the Dick Van Dyke character, Bert, was going to be replaced by Bart, his brother, who was going to be played by Michael Jackson. That story always has fascinated me. I also want to tell people, Jim, that if you Hmm. want to see the artwork uh, of Cruella in... The rescuers, including her on the fan boat, the famous fan boat. Oh um, wow! I didn't you know that was You can actually see it on a. It's there's a special feature mm-hmm. on the diamond edition of 101 Dalmatians called Cruella's Lost Roll, oh. and you can see all of that there. So how cool! Oh, don't, thank you. This is cool. one of our don't take our word for it. No, no, no. You, you you could see how close this came to happening. Uh, the other sort of we were just talking theme parks back when. Epcot had just opened in 82 and was genuinely struggling in year two to bring the crowds back, that this is when they were discussing the Entertainment Pavilion, which eventually, over time, mutated into Disney MGM Studios. But at that time, Drew, there were two rides that were supposed to be inside of the Entertainment Pavilion. One was, of course, Great Moments at the Movies, which eventually became the Great Movie Ride in the Chinese Theater, 
and now uh, Hollywood Studios. Uh, but uh, the other one was a behind the scenes on the making of a Disney animated film. But it, what was fascinating is in this iteration of the ride, it was all animatronics and it was all tunes. You rode past the writer's room where they, they were working on the script and then you rode past the, the editor's room. And, but the highlight was that when you finally got to where they were, quote unquote, shooting the movie, the movie that you were supposed to watch being done in front of the camera was The Rescuers. And the scene that was supposed to be recreated that, that you would travel through and look on as they were getting ready to shoot was the moment where Bernard is helping Bianca down into the leaf boat that Everroot is on. And so there would have been this 3D recreation of that scene from uh, The Rescuers. That's amazing. Yeah. Ah, what could have been? Never got built. Never got did you, built. Speaking of, did you see Mad Madam Mim at the uh, Disney's? I saw that the little bit of, um, you know, what kind of struck me as ironic is that Judge Doom at Oogie Boogie, they, they literally recreate the, you know, it's not kid gloves. You know, I mean, him killing the poor cartoon shoe and in fact, what's been interesting, I've seen a number of different iterations of it. I guess as Oogie Boogie has gone along, they've they've tweaked the lighting, they've tweaked the effects they do with this scene. I mean, it's they're recreating the moment right out of the movie where Mad Madam Mim, I just get the sense that I don't think people know this character. You know, so I don't think they, they remember her well enough that we should have her quote from the film or do stuff from the film. So it's a lot of sort of contemporary behavior with the character. It would have been cool if they had figured out a way of doing some kind of transformation. Oh, yeah. With no, her no, no. no, totally, too. totally. The Judge Doom is pretty great. Yeah. No, the, the Judge Doom is amazing. And kind of killing me that I can't get into Oogie Boogie because it's totally sold out. So going to be out there, what, the 19th through the 26th of October. Anybody has an extra couple of tickets and, you know, wants to hang out with me and Drew? Just put that out there. That's that's more of a threat than a invitation, <laughs> but yes. Well, no, no. Anybody who 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 listens to the, the the wonderful podcast that you would you do with Charles Hood, the Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, knows how entertaining and informative you are. I mean, you would be a great company for an evening oh, at Oogie Boogie. Shucks. Oh shucks! Oh shucks! Now, now toward that end, what what is going on? With, uh, well, we've got some really great people scheduled that I'm hesitant to bring up because, you know, if they fall through, I'll just be heartbroken. And, and mm-hmm. all the listeners would be heartbroken. But we've got some really great episodes. We talked to the great New York Magazine and Vulture film critic Bilga Ibiri this week and Ooh. next about kind of the critical reaction mm-hmm. to the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got Charles Parnell coming out who was in... Uh, Top Gun Maverick, he played Warlock, and he is in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. And also, mm-hmm. upcoming news about that movie's home video debut. So you'll definitely want Ooh. to tune in. Yeah. And speaking of, of stuff we'd love for you to check out, we, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta. Uh, we also have Marvelous Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams. And by the way, he has a Patreon project of his own, uh, 32nd Street, which shines a spotlight on Madison Avenue. And later today, I'm going to record a brand new episode of Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn, where he and I will talk about 
the most recent episodes of Ahsoka. Also want to remind you about uh, the other project that, that Len and I are working on, Disney Unpacked, our first ever video series. Uh, we're producing it in collaboration with Jim Shule, you know, legendary uh, Imagineer who uh, spent 30 years at the company working on some of your favorite rides like Rock and Roller Coaster and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. That show will be debuting shortly on Patreon. Uh, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, but also Light the Fuse, that would be great. And if you like what you heard here today and you want to subscribe, uh, head on over to Bandcamp. Let's see, social media-wise, what are we doing, Drew? We're watching the Twitter house burn down mm. from the inside. I mean, that site is so hard to use. People get on my case about this, too, mm -hmm. on social media, and they go, why are you always knocking Twitter, man? Mm -hmm. Twitter's cool. <laughs> well, it's not. It's terrible, but I'm still there. Drew That's tailored. Huge. I'm on Blue Sky. I'm on Instagram. I don't know. I'm Find me. I'm I'm still on uh, X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it. Uh, likewise, Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. That is going to do it for this week's fine tuning. Thanks again for listening in. And Drew and I will be back with a brand new show next week. Till then, take care.